0: Hey guys, it's B.B. from the Rise and Run podcast with B.B. and Nick. Alright guys, you ready for story time? Because this episode is both captivating and emotional. One of the goals with our podcast is to share the inspiring stories of just how running can bring you sanity, plus strength, plus happiness. Today's guest is Julie Cattell from Milestone Running in North Park, San Diego. Milestone is a beloved running shoe and apparel store with strong ties to the San Diego running community through the services it provides, its run club, and the amazing group of people that work there. Julie's journey with running is so in-depth and so unique. And in fact, it's led her to where she is with Milestone today. It's also one of the great examples of how running can bring you purpose, ground you, and connect you to others when you're most in need. Let's dive right in.
1: where i was from in jersey was like home it was everybody knew everybody i was friends with everybody moved to texas get pulled out of that um and it was already rough because like nobody nobody liked me kids didn't like me i was just the weird kid from jersey the other kid from jersey was cool but only one kid from jersey could be cool (laughs) yeah um and uh yeah, it was, it wasn't until a couple years later, I started running, but, and I had, I was really good. I was like beating the high school girls. It was something that like gave me a lot of pride and I was like, okay, I can do this. I, you know, I, yeah. I just felt like I belonged there. And when a gun went off, like the gun of the race, I feel weird saying that now when a gun goes off, I'm like, no, yeah. um, <laughs> but like everything disappeared. You know, everything just disappeared. It was glass. And no matter how nervous I was or how afraid I was, it all it all kind of just stopped at that point. And um, but I was the smart kid. I was the nerdy kid. I was good at sports and nobody liked me still. I don't know. I guess I just got fed up with it at that point. Um, And this is going from like running in middle school, high school was coming up. Um, I just got tired of being like, like I thought I was cool. I thought I just didn't understand it. I never understood why. So I was like, fine. My brother just started smoking. I'm going to start smoking. He's got friends now. So I'm going to have friends now. So I'm going to start smoking cigarettes. And, and over this one summer, it went from cigarettes to weed, to acid, to like everything. And then I go into high school um, and I'm now a cool kid that smokes. And it's kind of sad looking back on it, that it actually worked to get, to get friends. And so I hate that for our youth right now.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, I think about that all the time for my boys and like, just, you know, you want them to, to see that that stuff is not going to end well for them or it's not going to take them down a really good path but peer pressure is a real thing and and wanting um people to like you and and wanting to be liked by you know your peers in general i think that's so hard for kids and then now our kids with all the access
1: yes (laughs) lord oh my gosh yeah Yeah. so it's okay It it was a sad thing that it actually worked, but it it worked for me. Um, So I go into high school. I had already started smoking. I go try out for cross country um, just because, I mean, I was just kind of picking up where I left off, but I wasn't wholehearted at this point. I was like, um, so I ran the the placement run and I beat all the girls and half of the boys. And then all the girls are like, well, you're a smoker. I'm like, well, I still kicked your ass. <laughs> you know, it was my point of pride. Yeah. And then I just, after that, I just kind of had no interest. I was on to other things. I, it just stopped being important to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's so interesting. Because for me personally, I felt like I was super grateful to running because that's how I made my friends. We had moved while I was in middle school. And it was that awkward, like, hey, this is a new student. Why don't you take them with your friends? And it's just awkward, right? And so I found um, running in middle school, my my PE teacher was like, everyone run a mile. And I was good at it. And that got me attention. I wasn't ever a very popular kid, but I had a circle of friends and I had a group of friends and I was very shy. So I don't think that I would have even made those friends. Mm-hmm. if not for running. So it's just interesting to me because we all have our different experiences with things in life.
1: Completely different. It was yeah. a completely different experience and for me it was even the girls on my team they they wanted me to they wanted me to let them beat me. So it was more like I was competition for them. I wasn't letting them succeed. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting how kids minds minds work.
2: And I also mm-hmm. think it's
1: a Midwest thing too,
2: because when I was growing up, if you smoked, you know, had, you know, did had sex and did all the the bad things you weren't supposed to, you were popular. Yes, you were the it. You were the it people.
0: I don't know about you guys, but I just got flashbacks to like grade school. I was teased growing up for a good while being an African kid in, in a school where there weren't a lot of African kids. I'll say it. I say it all the time. Kids are mean. And yes, I also mean my little toddler son who gut punches me and goes, ew, squishy. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I feel fortunate, right? Because I made friends in high school through running and I had a sisterhood uh, that carried me through high school. And unfortunately, Julie didn't have that. And as kids do, you know, you're going to find acceptance somewhere.
1: When I was in, it was the summer kind of in between middle school and high school. Um, And I was just tired of not having friends. And so I had the bright idea of like my brother had started smoking cigarettes and he got some friends and he had started smoking pot. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do that. And I have a little sister as well. And she followed suit. Um, and so in that summer I had started smoking, whatever was there, um, other drugs followed as well. Um, but then going into high school, um, since I had already started down this path, I then I um, tried out for the cross country team and quickly decided I wasn't going to do that. Uh, probably went through my whole freshman year of high school, just half in, half out of school, um, hanging out with you know the cool kids, the quote unquote cool kids, mm-hmm. um, smoking a bunch of pot, going to all the parties. You know, I tried acid a few times in that year, um, and and just really was out of touch with anything having to do with school, anything having to do with running, um, being. Being the smart kid in class didn't get me where I wanted. It didn't get me friends. Being a really, really good in sports didn't get me any friends. And unfortunately, um, as it was, the other way did. And fast forward a little bit to into my sophomore year, we just. Between my brother and sister and I, and we all hung out as friends, like people didn't believe we were brother and sister because we were all hanging out together doing all of the same things. What was the age difference
2: in in your so very
1: man. close. There's not much of an age difference. My brother is a year and three months older than me and my sister's a year and nine months younger. Oh, wow. That's close. Yeah. 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 So yeah, we're all very close. So me starting to smoke at 13 means my sister's starting this at 12, 11, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> which looking back on sounds really awful. Yeah. Um, but that's I, mean, that's, I mean, it's what it was. It's what it was. Um, yeah. Um, So yeah, by maybe a couple months into the soft, my sophomore year, I just, I just kind of had it and, uh, with school and, um, with all of the drugs and the parties and, um, police instances, incidents with, you know, all the kids making a ruckus being out late smoking their pot in the woods and, Mm -hmm. and, um, I think my parents just at that point didn't really know what to do about it. Um, They were, we were all hanging out at the house with all of our messed up friends and and we were the home for the kids that got kicked out of their houses for all of these reasons. So my parents, I think, just had the idea of they can at least just keep us closer. At least they have eyes on us. Um, Yeah. So I, I think that was, looking back, it was probably smart on their part to do it that way. And, and we had somehow convinced them that we just didn't want to go to school anymore. And so we had started a little bit into the homeschool um, since we weren't going, mm-hmm. none of us were going to school anymore. And that just kind of quickly died as well. I got jobs and, um, and yeah, we all started working. My brother ended up going to jail, maybe not um a few years had passed with just I don't know it, it was a small town in Texas like now all the cops mm-hmm. knew us so we would get pulled over just for being a cartel or just having oh, wow. that attached to our license plate or um it was it was very we were very commonly known um mm. not not a good thing <laughs> but um yeah, we just went on many years like that. I was out of school probably by the time I was 14, had a job at 15. Um, and we passed years like that. I went through phases of, you know, it went from pot, then it went to acid. And what, what they say about this line, it really happens. It, yeah. re- the progression truly does happen. Yeah. I started, does you feel like
0: weed was like the gateway drug kind of thing.
1: It uh, literally is. Honestly, yeah. I was always such a pothead that I would try everything else and just come back to weed because it didn't, you know, I, I always like to be in control and, and this will be, this will come back around later. It's why I never, I, I drank with all of the kids as well, but I didn't ever like it. I didn't like drunk people. They were always sloppy. Yeah. So I would drink some. But my thing was anything that I could do and still feel like I had, you know, somewhat control of the situation or I could take care of anything if I needed to. So mm-hmm. I felt like that with pot. I tried acid was the next like phase I went through, did a bunch of psychedelics mm-hmm. um, for a while, ecstasy. Um started hanging out with a couple of methamphetamine dealers. And by the time I was 14, 15, I was selling methamphetamines and to other kids in my neighborhood, to mm-hmm. lawyers, to, oh, wow. uh, yeah, it just, and it was almost a blessing in disguise that I had it this in front of me so much because it was one thing that I really liked way too much. And the fact Mm -hmm. that I had it there, all I wanted at my disposal at 15 years old, all the time, it just was, could have spelled disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I went through doing so much of that that I had gotten in the shower one time and knew it was a hallucination because I hadn't been asleep for days. I just felt like I was, there were bugs on me. Like I was in the shower and it wasn't water, it was bugs. Yeah, It was awful um but then one time my sister wanted some speed and she was going to steal money out of our mom's purse to buy it from me and that broke my heart and I was just done with it at that point oh, wow. so and this time it, it was probably only like three or four months worth of doing this stuff but I had so much at my disposal that I just watched it ruin everything so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I got out of that like that. I, something has been watching over me my whole life. I could tell yeah. you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you, it is.
0: At any point, um, as you were you know, getting more and more involved with the drug dealing, at any point, did you ever have a moment where you were like, I shouldn't be doing this? Or was it just um the need to do the drug and then be a part of that life because at that point you're not in you're not in school anymore so that popularity thing i would imagine is not really becomes a non issue and yeah. so is it just the the your body's need for the drugs and wanting to be around it at any you know that drove you or were you just kind of like i don't care and just kept going
1: yeah i think at at that point I just, I don't know, it was, I was constantly being introduced to newer people, older people, people with different experiences, people in different walks of life. And that was more interesting to me. Mm
2: -hmm. Like the fact
1: that as a 15 year old, I can go sell drugs to a lawyer in a high rise in Dallas is just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I got exposed to so many different people. not great but um but yeah I don't I don't with speed or with the methamphetamines that was probably the one that I can look back on and I was just so glad that I escaped with my life there Um, and the instance of my sister saying she was going to steal money out of my mom's purse to buy it from me I was like that I don't know. It, sometimes it's the littlest thing that makes things click.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that was the little thing with this that made it click. And I just stopped, went back to just smoking pot, calmed everything back down.
0: Um, and you were able to just stop like that cold turkey. Yes. Wow. I
1: sounds, mean, again, it, sounds it sounds was like,
2: like a, it sounds like you have a really good relationship with your brother and sister, even though it wasn't in a healthy environment
1: yeah it was a completely unhealthy environment yeah Yeah, it was such a close relationship that nobody thought we were brother and sister they would come over to our house they're like why are you here like why are you here here?" um yeah yeah it's it's weird how it you know people can tell you things um and have the wisest comments for you Mm -hmm. but they might if you're not ready to hear them
0: yeah. You're yeah. not going
1: to get it. And it's just that one instance that cut that part off for me. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Like whatever it was that clicked when my sister said that I was like, your baby okay. sister.
2: It's your baby uh, sister. I mean, yeah.
1: you still see them
2: as like your baby sister. Like, I mean, me and my sister obviously are much older, but I still see her as my baby sister. So if someone's yeah. going to hurt her or she's going to walk yeah. into danger. Yeah. You know, no, don't, I, whether, we talk, that- or whether we're talking or we're not talking or we, we have an argument or not, like she's still my baby sister, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I can see and that. And
1: the fact that I could be adding to my sister yeah. going down this hole exactly. was awful to me. You can't live with that. No, so, yeah. no. And so it was with- what kind of snapped me out of that part. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm just curious what happened with your sister too and brother, Yeah, were they yeah. able to- step back as well?
1: Um, My brother around that time had, um, I think my brother at that time was like getting into his first trip to jail. Um, My sister was pretty much saved from all of that for her age Mm -hmm. Um, and for watching my brother and I go away. Um, So my sister kind of had the potential to be worse but had two pretty hefty examples of where she didn't want to be right ahead of her so um, mm-hmm. so yeah my um yeah I think about that time my brother was getting in trouble for his first time um, I hadn't officially gotten in trouble with the police until seventeen but they were very well aware of who I was and my brother had already been to jail a couple of times before I hit that. So probably when he was like, um, no, we had gone, um, my brother and sister and I had all gotten taken in one time, but it was a case of our parents had to come pick us up mm-hmm. because we were of a younger age. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so official that official trouble my brother was probably already in trouble once my sister and I not yet at that point Um, it wasn't until maybe a year or so later that I got into my big trouble
0: one thing about Julie you guys as you listen to her story You hear these definitive moments where this woman makes these sudden changes. Like Nick said I also have a little sister and I am snapping in or snapping out of whatever I need to if things are not right with her. For Julie like this instance with her little sister was the thing that got her you know really reevaluating things and changing her life a bit and she kind of thought she was out of the woods but before she could get out she kind of had to go a little deeper and found herself in some big trouble.
1: Uh, The big trouble, honestly, I felt like this big trouble came at a time where I had already calmed down. I was 17 at that time. I had just like all of the hard drugs were kind of in the past. I was still going out to like, I would go to bars. I would go to clubs that I wasn't supposed to be and listen to music but I was just pothead at that point um, yeah. but there was a friend of ours who had gotten in trouble and had set up a sting operation um, to get himself out of trouble to gather more people and that was his deal with the police and so it was probably over a few months um, he had had us meet people and Get them drugs, and where I wasn't necessarily a dealer at this point, I was taking him to a place where he could get some. I'm like, hey, you know, all these people too. Why can't you just go there by yourself? Oh, they don't trust me right now. Okay, well, okay, let's go. <laughs> um, so this guy had rounded up um, myself, my brother as well. So this is, you know, a number of strikes against my brother now. Um, and 10 of our other friends. It was a big sting operation over several months. Um, And when the police came to pick me up and they're like, Julie Cattell, we're looking for Julie Cattell. And I was like, that's me. Okay, you're under arrest and whatever they say it's for. And I was just, uh, and then I couldn't hear them at first. So I asked them to repeat. I was like, wait, what is this for? You know, three counts of delivery two counts of, you know, two felony counts of whatever, and a misdemeanor count of this. And, and I just kind of nod. And, and I remember in that moment, feeling so relieved, and not because I felt relieved, because if that's all they're going to get me for, I just put my hands behind my back. I was like, okay. So having that thought in my head as a 17 year old I'm like oh that's all okay take me away for that I'll take it I think it was one count of controlled substance and the other two were marijuana but one was in a school zone so that was a felony as well and the other one was a misdemeanor since it was my first go-round they let me stay out of um I got to come back out and um, stay out until trial um, and the pre-trial test to make sure I wasn't on any drugs which I failed horribly mm-hmm. um, so I had three months I was sentenced to three months in jail and two years probation because it was my first offenses they were my first offenses um, and so when I got out I obviously could not smoke pot because I was going to get a bunch of urine tests. Um, and this is how we circle back around to the drinking thing. Like, I never liked drinking. I never liked drunk people. But I feel like I had gotten in such a habit of having something to run away from reality and not be mm-hmm. who I was. I wanted a life so different. Like, I was always okay with all this chaos because I think I always wanted this big dramatic story. And I felt so plain. I mm-hmm. felt so plain and so simple. And I was, I didn't feel like that's who I was. I didn't wanna be just, I was just Julie. I was just, just Mm -hmm. so-so. And I never felt like that's who I was inside. So I just, I caused my big chaos. I, I created my giant story that I wanted that I now have to tell. And I'm just grateful I'm alive to tell it Um, because, I mean, it gets pretty crazy out there. I was surrounding myself with people that were more messed up than I was, and I was taking care of them. So I felt like I was fine. Um, And then one day, I don't know, I just woke up and I was crying my eyes out because I I I didn't know why at the time I was just bawling. And I knew no matter what it was, I just knew if I had access to a bar, I was going to go to it. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. So I called my probation officer and I told her she needed to lock me up and get me out of Dallas because I I couldn't do it anymore. Um, She's like, well, that's good because you've had enough alcohol in your last three piss tests to kill a horse or two. So (laughs)
2: Oh my uh,
1: wow. Um, so she let me stay out until there was a bed ready for me because I think she she's had enough experience with this to know like when somebody's done or when they're not done she's seen enough people go into aa and all these things and not really mean it um and and I just I meant it I and the I've fact that the you, sh- you're hmm? the one that
0: picked up the phone too right and called her I mean that's I think, I think pretty profound, right. Um, To realize and recognize that in, in how much of a mess you felt like already.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. A complete mess. I know I had told you previously, I got in the shower that day and um, I was playing an album by train and I forget what the song was, but I was in the shower and I was just crying, sobbing continuously And I always want to think it's the song that's making me feel this way. And and it's a very broken hearted song with a chorus that, you know, asking, is anybody waiting at home for you? Because it's Mm -hmm. only time that will tell if it's heaven, if it's hell. And I couldn't place in my head a single person that I could feel that way about except for myself. Mm -hmm. And it just... I was floored for the rest of the day. I called a friend that I knew had already left our group and kind of went, he went to AA because he was done too. So I called him. I was like, you need to get me out of here. Take me to your meetings. I need to go somewhere Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because I had turned into something that I hated, something Mm -hmm. that I thought was, I never understood why people wanted to be that way. And I had turned into that. And, and I'm really glad I'm so glad because I didn't have to spend much time since I already knew I didn't like it. I didn't have to spend much time doing it Mm
2: -hmm. to
1: blow up. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself pretty lucky for that. I didn't have to spend years and years of drinking to come to this point. I was like, I'm doing this all the way. I'm doing it now. Let's go down hard and fast. And, and I did, um, And so I think right after my 20th birthday, I ended up going to prison for around about a year. It was a particular type of facility in Texas called a a safety unit, substance abuse, felony punishment time. This is where you have to go before you go home Mm
2: -hmm. to get
1: some more counseling, to get yourself ready or you go here before you get transferred to the big one to try to get you to not go mm-hmm. um, to the other one. So I was there on the unit for like nine or 10 months um, and then a halfway house for another three months after that. You know,
2: as you're talking, looked- Julie, like I know that I, I know now that you're in a good place and um, but I know the story still is, is very raw for you um, because yeah. obviously you went through it. But the one thing that, and, and I mean, I'm just saying this as, you know, a, a newfound friend, like the one thing that I feel like you should really be proud of is that at the end of the day, you you figured out that you were the only person who could take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And even though you felt like you were alone, like you, you took the steps, no matter what it took to get there, you took the steps to take care of yourself and get yourself out of that situation. And so like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting here listening to the story and I'm, and I just keep thinking of that and how proud of you how proud I am of you for for doing that and I barely know you um but I hope that you're proud of yourself for doing that because it's that's amazing a lot of people can't see the forest for the trees and you saw it so
0: didn't I say it I think I did that Julie has these definitive moments in her life and Nick says it really well a lot of people can't see the forest for the trees but even still a lot of people can't see that forest and then put it behind them but luckily julie was able to do that and so this is the part of the story where she in essence you know runs away from her previous lifestyle
1: i started getting more healthy again like i just wanted to work out i wanted to be i, I was always a very active person um mm-hmm. So I had started going back to the gym, still smoking cigarettes. Um, but I was a gym rat. And then some guys at the gym that I would go to, they did triathlons and they were cyclists. And they're like, hey, we're gonna do this half marathon. How about you run it with us? I'm like, ah, running. That's funny. I smoke. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, come on. I'm like, how far is that? And they're like, Oh, it's like 13 miles. I'm like, I can't even go run around the parking garage. What are you talking about? Um, but they convinced me. And so I started doing it. So I would get to the gym in the morning and I would smoke my cigarette on the way to the gym and I would go <laughs> run a few laps around the parking garage. And it may have been a mile, not quite. And I go into the gym and I feel so accomplished because I got like maybe a mile in and then I lifted my weights. Um, Anyways, day comes that it's the half marathon and we were going to run a mile and walk a minute. I'm like, okay, I, I, I can do that. Like in my head, I did five miles. What's, you know, seven more, I don't know, eight more, let's go. And, uh, and so we run a mile, walk a minute, run a mile, walk a minute. And in there walking a minute, I'm still bopping on my little tippy toes and uh, another part of listening to my body and not knowing why we get to mile seven and my calves are just locked up completely and i don't know why this is the solution in my head but my body just told me it's like you either need to go or you need to stop you either need to go at your own pace like leave these people and continue just running forward Um, muscularly. Now, to me, it makes complete sense. At the time, I didn't know why, but I was like, guys, I either have to leave you or I have to stop. And they're like, they're heckling me a little bit. And they're like, fine, go, go. And so I ran that next Five miles, like there was a trail of fire behind me. And I felt like I was flying and the world was great. And I was like, I was free and I felt nothing. And my body was just going. And it was the most, and I could look behind me, and there were thousands of people behind me, and that thousands of people in front of me. And it was just the most magical experience. And I felt like I was where I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Oh. Throw in the little add in of I stopped smoking for like two days before this to clean my lungs out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Not smoke for two days before. Oh, yeah,
2: clean the lungs out. Clean out my lungs in two days <laughs> that's how it works,
1: <laughs> right? Um, and funny enough, I started running and, and, I kind of caught up with this guy and we were running about the same pace. He was maybe a little slower, but he started picking it up to run with me. He's like, Hey, you're running a good pace. And I don't even know what that is at the time. I'm like, I oh, go, yeah, sure. He's like, mind if I tag along? I'm like, okay. Um, and so I'm telling him my little story of like, oh, I haven't smoked for a couple of days. I've never really run or like haven't run in a long time. and um, and, he, and he ends up being a pastor. And so, what does he do in the Dallas Marathon? Well, oh, half goodness. marathon is what we're running. Um, he ends up praying out loud in front of everybody while we're running. And me, I'm like always been kind of up in the air about yeah. what I believe in or what I right. call it. I feel like everybody just calls it what they want to call it, or you believe in something. And was, but I thought it was a very sweet thing. And he's praying for me to like, Stop smoking and i literally don't know if that was it or the stress my body was under from the running um but i haven't smoked since so it was literally it was like this serendipitous moment i want to have church
2: right now but i won't go there i won't go there (laughs) (laughs) church Oh my gosh! I'm feeling
0: like somebody pray over me like that willpower <laughs> or something. I know. I know.
1: Yeah. Somebody pray for my naroma at this moment. I would like <laughs> it to just completely go away. That's, fantastic.
2: that's a fantastic story.
0: Oh my gosh! Uh, I think I think it's a combination of the prayer and your willpower. I think you have willpower. a lot of willpower.
2: Yeah. That's honestly, a that's a good word, B. Yeah, that's a yeah. Really good word. Yeah.
0: You guys, Julie very clearly has an immense amount of willpower. And regarding the pastor, look, listen, I think I'm going to the next race and I can't even really race right now, but I'm going to find myself a pastor and I'm going to have them (laughs) pray over these knees because it's just been a problem for me. But anyway, I digress. So Julie's determination really has given her the opportunity to meet some incredible people through running. So she was coached by Carlton Odom for a good period of time. And then she met the amazing Beverly Kearney, who's the former UT coach, amazing. And then ultimately all of this led her to meeting the guys from Milestone Running and really becoming a part of that family and the running community here in San Diego. So let's listen in and catch up with where Julie is in this chapter of her life.
1: I think the next really significant thing for me was like, it was just taking longer than I thought it would. I thought because I had this vision and I had, and I knew this was my place. I thought it should happen right away. Like Mm -hmm. this is supposed to be this miraculous thing, right? And Uh, Or at least that's what I felt like it was supposed to be. I was like, no, this is my trajectory. This is my purpose. So why isn't it happening? And then, you know, I would get kind of my motivation would lag for it, or not even that. It would just be like, why isn't this showing up? Yeah. And then another thing happened, and this was not too long before I ended up leaving Austin. And the reason I left Austin to move out here. I just needed something different like I wasn't getting to where I thought I was supposed to be Mm -hmm. um and the coach uh the women's coach for the UT track team had just been released from UT and somebody had suggested to me I was like okay maybe I should go shorter distance stuff maybe this longer stuff isn't like maybe I'm an in-betweener but let me get some sh- sprint training. So i looked for like another sprint coach and somebody had mentioned Bev, Bev Kearney, and she's this pinnacle. I'm like, Oh no, I can't go there because she's like, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm not at that level yet. And then, uh, and things with this other sprint coach just didn't work out. He ended up moving or And taking on other clients I don't I don't even really remember why but then somebody's like why don't you just ask Bev and I'm like yeah but she's so good like that's a different level they're like well if you want to be there why don't Mm -hmm. why don't you ask her there's no harm in asking so I found her email somehow some way um, emailed her we had a meeting um, and I think she was kind of inspired as she's a very inspired person she's such an amazing lady and i think she saw my desire but she also picked something out in me that i was i was dampening my dream to make it sound more realistic Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. Um, because in my mind i'm in the olympics i've got a medal and that's in my head. And it sounds, I mean, we all know how it is. When we hear somebody with those lofty goals, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, calm down. And I I always felt that from other people. So I just kind of dampened it down, especially talking to someone at her level.
0: Yeah. Because so she, like, she saw right, right through you in a sense. Uh, and she was oh, like, I yes. know what you want.
1: <laughs> yes. She saw right through it. She's like, why are you bringing yourself down? Why are you dampening your dream for my benefit? Mm -hmm. Why are you dampening your dream? What is it you really want? And so I was like, really caught off guard in this. And I was like, okay, here it is. This is what I want. This is what I saw. This is where I'm supposed to be. I don't know how to get there. And she's like, okay, we can work with that. And so I started working with Bev. Um, She wrote me up. We met a number of times, so she would know I knew how to do drills, she made sure I would do them correctly, she would write up some workouts for me, Um, and then she asked me to come to her house, and so I went to her house, and she was explaining to me that she was going to move, and that she would help find another coach, somebody to train me, somebody that could get me to where I wanted to go. And for some reason, I knew in this meeting, I was like, if she says San Diego, I'm leaving. And then my brain starts trying to calculate, how can I do this? I'm a person that I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, ah, I'm moving to California where stuff's very expensive. Um, but I knew I was going to move. And so later in the conversation, she said, you know, an opportunity came up. For her to you know come out here and train she's got a team that she's built out here they're going to train out of the sdsu track she's got some of her olympians coming with her and some of her you know other collegiate post collegiates coming with her um and i just looked at her and i was like what if i moved and she was like she just kind of i think she was taken aback but also really appreciated that. Um, And she's like, okay, well, um, I'll coach you for free for a little while since you're giving up your entire life. But yeah. So I move out here and I start training with everybody. My foot's a little hurt at first. And so I ended up like going to see the team doctors and everybody, but I had to spend almost more than half of what I had saved up, just trying to get my foot right so I could even start training with everybody. Yeah, I remember
0: you mentioning that the training was hard on you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm coming in as the old lady, number one. I think I was 34 when I moved here and I'm training at this time with 20 year olds. Uh, who had run all of their lives so far? Run in college, mm-hmm. already been to Olympics, already been to national championships. Um, Were previous smokers? <laughs> Were previous smokers or drug dealers? Um, <laughs> and all I have is like. My desire and my dream and my purpose and my work ethic. And that's what I've got. And then Bev appreciated that. Bev totally appreciated that. But the goal was to come out here. And um, when I moved out here, it was like 2014 going into 15. And I had 18 months to make the trials. Mm -hmm. And that was the deal. Bev Mm -hmm. was going to coach me for 18 months to get me to where I wanted to go. Um, And so we go through the first little bit, slightly injured, can't get into the training right away. And then it's just not coming out so well for, I was training for 800, 1500, is kind of what we were aiming for. And then she was just being realistic, looking at it. She's like, look, you don't have enough speed right now. And these fields are kind of stacked. Mm. So what do you think about the steeplechase? And I actually like this because I like jumping over things. I think it's fun. I like swinging from trees. I like, um, I also think it goes well with the 800. It's just that gritty type of personality. And that's kind of why Bev picked it for me. And then I was training with the SDSU, like the distance girls, the cross country girls for my longer stuff, just to have stuff local. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just, I just kept getting slower and slower. And it was just baffling me. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I went to have x-rays on my lungs because I'm like, is there actually a problem here? Did I mess myself up smoking? Like what's going on? And my body was just blowing up with all the training. Um, My body wasn't used to it. And I guess it wasn't right for me at the time. Um, So I just got so... um, defeated and and so confused Um, because I'm like I feel like this is my purpose and again it's coming to smack me in the face and I've uprooted myself and I've followed my intuition and I've followed what I thought was the right thing to do and it's still smacking me in the face is not being here and at this time I had when I moved here I'd started working for another running store and quickly realized I would sooner sleep in my car and be homeless or not eat than work for this person so this is when I'm finding Chad and Greg trying to get Mm -hmm. a gear because I needed a job to live yes um and so I started coming around them and just helping out in the store here and there because I would come in and it would be just Chad or whatever. And there's four customers and there's shoes everywhere. And I'm like, you need some help. You need to hire me. So after courting them for a couple of months, um, so I ended up working here and they're watching me go through all of this. Um, they're watching me and, and they're watching all the pain in the struggles and for the people that they are, Um, When stuff finally just blew up trials, I didn't make it. I didn't do anything. I didn't even get close. I got slower. I got slower moving out here. Um, So finally we just kind of gave up on stuff. I I went and got some blood lactate testing done. um, And it just turns out all of my time running, I had just been running everything too hard. Like Mm -hmm. I had this from those Mm -hmm. lung x-rays, there was nothing bad in my lungs. I mean, minus, I don't have a lot of space between my lungs and my rib cage or the space that you should have. And he said, that's probably from smoking. He's like, but you have a giant heart. You've got a huge engine. So with all of that, and I was running with Chad sometimes, Greg sometimes, Mm -hmm. and Chad and I would have a lot of heart to hearts. And, uh, and I just like, I just told him one day, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know if I should stop, if I should give up on this. The only thing I know is when I think about giving up on this, it makes me sick to my stomach. And so it's like, I can't like, it's killing me to keep doing it, but I can't stop because the thought of not having it in my life or not working for it, just, it made physically made me want to throw up. So I'm like, okay, I guess I just have to keep going. I just don't know where to go. I'm I'm out of ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Chad offered to coach me and Greg offered to run my workouts with me to like rabbit me my workouts. And they literally just came in and saved me.
2: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. I mean the people they are ish they're just the most incredible human beings and both for their different reasons and the same reasons at the same time mm-hmm. but the fact that they saw that, that my dream was torturing me so much and they're like no we're gonna help you fix yeah. this yeah. Um, so to me it's still like it's such a touching thing and I'm still honestly I'm still kind of in that place now I'm like you know my foot's been hurt for so long i'm like okay well maybe if i just don't ever run i just wish i would could feel free to run at some of point of course i right. of course i just i think for me the biggest thing i miss at this moment was the feeling so directed mm-hmm. i don't feel like i have direction that's what <laughs> with, I was. With the yeah
0: running. that's what i was hearing as you were talking about like not wanting to give it up it, it was a goal that you could focus on and work towards and and then realizing or feeling like that maybe wasn't attainable in the way that you wanted it to be um, that's what was kind of bringing up like a, a, it sounded to me like feelings of fear that you wouldn't have something that you're so focused on and so all in about but like you said at the same time it's brought you full circle to where you are and doing something that you love, working with people that you appreciate and love that have been there for you. Um, so try try to remember that part for sure, you know?
1: Absolutely, I, I mean, I, I, I get to come good. to work and work with my best yeah. friends. You
2: know? Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing, running has definitely brought you love and it sounds like it's brought you some peace and happiness. And if you can focus on that, I mean, the sky's the limit at this point. Yeah. I mean, so I I'm very very happy that you shared your story with us and everything did come full circle in my mind and just what you've told me and I just I just I just love running for this exact reason. For this, yeah. for this exact reason.
0: Hold up, wait. It's BB from the Rise and Run podcast with BB and Nick. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, did you enjoy this episode? Well, Nick and I would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and on Anchor. And that way, you'll know when new episodes are published. And be sure to rate us so that Spotify can recommend us to other listeners. Lastly, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at riseandrun.podcast and tag us in your run photos. We love and appreciate the support. And remember, tomorrow is a new day to rise and run.